0: Welcome to today's show. We're live with the Naked Parent Podcast, and we are so fortunate to have Jusata with us today, who you may have heard out there because she has the Mama Bear Podcast. (laughs) She's the mama of five-year-old twin boys who are both on the autism spectrum, and they are her light. She's also a licensed professional clinical counselor and licensed marriage and family therapist and just obtained a doctorate in social work. Her husband just finished with his master's in statistics and her main job is as a senior project manager and also works part-time as a therapist, supervisor, and mental health related trainer. Jasato, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really
0: excited to be here. (laughs) Yes, so it sounds like you are not only a parent in the industry, but uh, professional as well. What brought you to the industry? Was it being a parent first or or tell us about that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Actually, I was in the industry first and then became a parent. So I actually came into this field originally as a rape crisis counselor. And in my job as a rape crisis counselor, well, volunteer as a rape crisis counselor, I uh, helped to create a program for sexually exploited children. And I love kids. I've worked with kids for a long time. I was a tutor for a long time and I always knew I wanted to work with kids. So meeting with so many teens and younger children who had been through such trauma really just kind of reaffirmed my belief that I wanted to continue working with people and help traumatize populations. And so I got my master's from Pepperdine University as in clinical psychology with the emphasis in marriage and family therapy. And Continued my work with kids and loved it. Uh, Worked with families, loved that because I believe that a healthy family is really kind of the foundation, right? Of healthy children. (laughs) If adults are struggling, kids are going to struggle too. So being able to kind of merge that too was a huge passion of mine. And then I had my boys. (laughs) One was diagnosed right before his third birthday and the other one was diagnosed right after his third birthday. So within like a month or so they were both diagnosed. And it really helped me merge the two. I had worked with so many kids on with uh, difficult behaviors and difficulty communicating. I did have some clients that were on the spectrum, but that was never my only focus. A lot of my focus was with kids with behavioral health needs, oppositional defiance disorder, ADHD, things like that. But really being able to merge the two has been my my husband says this, and I say this often too. I, we've been very lucky because I had that experience before coming into being parents. And then, you know, just knowing that they are on the spectrum and knowing how to support them, it's really kind of helped me to learn more <laughs> um, because it's so different being a parent and being a professional. It's so different. But being able to merge the two, I, we're very grateful that we can, at least we try to do on a daily basis.
0: Do you feel like it helped prepare you for some of the impact like the shock factor that a lot of us parents have or or was did it still rock your world in its own ways
1: wow that's a great question you know Yuri was diagnosed first but when Yuri was diagnosed my heartbreak was not that he got a diagnosis but knowing how unfortunately the stigma that comes along with having any kind of diagnosis right like I'm in the mental health field, and it's something that I fight against constantly. I talk about mental health stigma, and we I really encourage positive self talk and empathy towards others and ourselves. But if I know from a professional standpoint how hard that is, knowing that kids on the spectrum or really many diagnoses tend to get bullied more, like that's broke my heart of like how are my kids going to be perceived? are they going to be seen as they're on the spectrum and that's it. Like, is that all that it's going to be? That broke my heart. Getting the diagnosis itself, my husband actually said it better than I can. He said, the diagnosis just helped him to understand their struggles and why they do certain things that we were not really able to understand until we got a diagnosis. Why weren't they talking? Why was Aki, um, my... Younger, for like two minutes, he would hit his head when he was upset. Why did he do that? We didn't understand. As a trained behavioral professional, I knew using a calm voice and keeping him safe, right? Like I knew those things, but we did not really understand why, right? And so being able to get that diagnosis for us in a weird way was a relief because we knew, okay, this is why, and here's what we can do to support them. And so that's kind of how we used it. And that's how we use it. Aki has not hit his head for over two years at this point. Both of them are verbal. They can talk. So that has helped significantly decrease a lot of the difficulties that they were having in communicating. Because speaking of from empathy, how difficult would it be to not be able to tell somebody, hey, I want this or I'm thirsty? I know. How frustrating that must be, right? And so. For us, like being able to understand, Oh, that's why he's doing that. He's frustrated and he can't say. He doesn't have the words to say, I'm frustrated. He doesn't have a picture to show us. There's no way for him to tell us, I'm frustrated, other than hitting his head or throwing things or screaming. That empathy helped us a lot in being able to stay calm because if we are like, with him, then he's going to escalate too, which not, not gonna lie sometimes it's hard to stay calm, right as right. parents because we're human beings too right and we don't want to see our children start suffer i don't think any of our parents go into being parents thinking yes i'm gonna save my kids scream like i don't think we do that right we go in thinking that our kids are gonna be like you know happy and healthy and we're gonna do everything we can to make sure that they're happy and healthy and what do you do when they're not happy and healthy. I think it's hard for us parents too, to reflect and really see like, okay, how can we stay calm in that moment? And for us, the diagnosis really helped us to remind ourselves, Hey, this is not he's being difficult. He's having a difficult time right now. And so how can we help him to regroup? How can we help ground him? So I use every tool in my toolbox. <laughs> As a therapist and as a mom. And honestly, what works for one doesn't work for the other. That's always fun. Um, But really reminding myself that like, hey, just because it didn't work right now doesn't mean it's a bad tool. It might just not be a good tool right now. So what else can we use? So I feel like took it pretty well. I cried about it that night. And again, it wasn't because of the diagnosis. It was because I knew how individuals with any kind of diagnosis can be treated unfairly and unkind knowing that that might happen to my kids broke my heart but you know like that kind of also lit a fire (laughs) under me to just kind of you know advocate for them which is why I started my blog and you know thankfully my Instagram page I feel like is doing better because I take a lot of pictures and I tell the story of their strength because they are such amazing kids and I don't care if people only think oh you know they're going to be this way because they have this diagnosis my role and my view is i'm going to shatter that and they have broken so many expectations already and i genuinely believe they're going to continue doing so and you know i'm just lucky to be their mom i guess to be able to witness that
0: <laughs> that's great you have such amazing energy about your journey and and i feel that and i sense that and i feel like they're lucky to have you as their mom so Like, when did you know something might be different? Uh, You got diagnosed at three. When did something pop up for you?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So for a while, they weren't talking, right? They weren't communicating. But every time we talked about it with others, including our doctors and really anybody, we would get three things. They're boys. They're twins. (laughs) They're bilingual because we both speak Japanese and English. Okay. So we kept getting like, yeah, like they're going to be a little delayed in language. It's fine. Like they're going to catch up, right? Like that was every time we, we brought it up. But what really um, set off red flags is we put them in a daycare and the daycare was just starting out. So it was like them and maybe like one or two other children at first. And they did great. Yuri cried a lot <laughs> when we dropped them off, but he started adjusting and they were doing fine. But then more kids started coming because the word got out about this daycare, understandably, and the struggles began. One day, Aki got really upset that this other child was playing with a toy that he wanted or something along those lines, and he threw a book at this child. Thankfully, there was a teacher there that was able to stop the book, and you know, the child did not get hurt because that always concerns me too. But that was like, a, okay, they don't usually do things like that at home, and but seeing them with other kids and seeing... Kiddos around the same age. It was like a okay. I don't think that this is just that they're bilingual and they're twins and they're boys. Like I don't think that's the only reason. So then we started the process because I knew a lot about how do you get those resources because that was part of my job. I kind of jumped into that mode and I we spoke to the pediatrician, got them an evaluation appointment. I spoke to our uh, regional center to see what services we could get because because they weren't three yet. So we could get early intervention. So it just kind of started the ball rolling there. And thankfully, in a lot of ways, they were diagnosed early so that we could, one, I guess, for us, like switch our views early of just kind of like, oh, this is partly because they have this diagnosis. And not everything is because of a diagnosis, by the way. But it really helped us to know this early in a way, but also get the diagnosis early and get them the support early it's funny because when I tell the story of how they used to be I'm sure people are like and I'm just like but now like when you meet them they're not like that at all but yeah for a while there and then I think another thing was I had a friend come over she came over every month and she we're starting that again now that we're all vaccinated and all that but um for a while obviously we stopped but when they were younger she came often and When she would come, Yuri, there was one time Yuri cried for six hours straight. Wow. Yes. He clung on to me for dear life and he screamed and would cry six hours. That was another red flag to me of like, "Mm, he's fine when it's me or my parents or my brother or my husband because he knows us. But this was a friend that came quite often and he still was reacting that way. And then I started kind of being careful of, of watching how he responded to people. And I noticed that when it was not somebody that he was comfortable with, as in our family, he would cry and scream. And that was another like red flag of like, oh, I don't think that's normal. <laughs> like, I don't think that's how two three year olds, two year olds, I guess at that point, respond. Right. I understand Stranger Danger totally understand that. But that was another level. And so that kind of, again, reminded me, like, I should probably get this checked out. And if it's just, you know, it's just stranger danger, this is normal for like, normal, within normal limits for other kids. Cool. But if it's not, I wanted to make sure that we knew what it was. So yeah, little red flags, I felt like, Because a lot of the red flags that even as a professional, when somebody says that, oh, I think my kids on the spectrum, like I can't diagnose because I am not a psychologist, but they do refer. And some of the questions I I look at or ask, my kids will not really fit into. Mm. They would try to play with other kids. They played with each other. They interacted with each other. They would social smile, right? Like that's the one thing that I would hear a lot. Like as a baby, did they smile at other people? Yes. There were little red flags, but there wasn't this like, yes, this is autism. Like it wasn't like that when we got the diagnosis. So I'm grateful that we were able to get it because, you know, I thought of other things too, like maybe it's that they just have this language disorder, like what else could it be? But yeah, like little red flags, I guess it wasn't something big.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean, I think it's a great point that you make about that, the intense crying piece, that six hour piece, because those for me, are some of the moments where it doesn't signal this over here. Yeah. But yet if you go through those, mo- those are heavy experiences yeah. I mean, for the child, for you, and as it interweaves with the rest of life. And, and those are some of those things that can kind of like, make things really confusing and stressful. So yeah. I
1: mean, like what's normal for like a baby to cry, right? Like, it, there's like these, like, and you know, Google is not a friend. Like I I,
2: right.
1: I, I would tell my I tell my clients that all the time too I'm like Google is not your friend. Please do not Google a diagnosis. And for a little bit there, I was like, should I Google this? Like, you know, like what can I do? Thankfully, as a therapist, I have psychologist friends. I have friends that are therapists. I have friends that, you know, work in a lot in this field. So I was able to kind of have ask those questions. And again, like a lot, even them would say, like, but they're twins. Like they're supposed to be delayed in language. Like they're supposed to, you know, like have a difficult time with others because they can't talk, right? It was so normalized because again, like I don't think anybody wanted to tell us either, right? Like, that's a red flag. Because they are twins that I think the assumption was that it's going to be different because they're twins, right? Like they're not a singleton and because they're not a singleton, they might not have certain things. They might not meet these developmental markers, at a singleton pace, because they are, which I think complicated a lot of things. But yeah, like, noticing like, oh, six hours, that's not within normal limits. right? And so like, at that point, I was like, what can I do for you? <laughs> like, right. You know, I'm hugging you. And he was this child that constantly wanted hugs. Again, another thing, oh, you know, they're on the spectrum, they must not right. want hugs, they might not, they must not be cu- like, cuddly. Oh, no, my kids are very cuddly. Like they're constantly hugging and kissing and everything that I thought or that I was taught to look for, they didn't have. But yeah, it was those moments that I was like, I should look into this further. <laughs> like, right. you know, Instead of just minimizing it and saying that this is normal.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah I think one of the um, knowing when to look into something versus when to be present and just allow life to unfold is such a challenge, I think, in being a parent. And questioning if there's special needs and what I need to do with that, because we need to enjoy and live life too, not always be trying to figure out what the signal is behind, um, you yeah. know, a cry. So thank you for sharing that part of it. What's uh, one of the most challenging moments that stands out for you on your journey so far?
1: Yeah, there's several, but I think the biggest one was when Aki used to hit his head he would get really upset. And it was a daily thing for a while there where he would hit his head on the wall, on the floor, sometimes on people, on me. He would get to the point where he would get so upset that he would take both fists and hit down and hit me right on my wrist. So I would have bruises on my wrist. And I don't, we don't spank my kids. (laughs) I just, Don't believe in spanking my kids because if I'm talking to them about using your words, if I don't use my words, (laughs) I already learned to to use their words. But I'm not going to lie. As a human being, there was a little part of me that's like, maybe spanking is the way to go. Never did it. But, you know, for a moment there, right? Like, because he would just, I couldn't get through to him. He would be screaming and throwing things at me or hitting me or hitting his head, trying to hit his brother. And trying to kind of like stay calm in that moment is hard. (laughs) One, seeing your child hurt themselves is not easy, of course. But as a human being, (laughs) listening to screaming for like an hour or so can be very difficult, right? Right. I'm very thankful that he doesn't do that anymore. As he's able to talk more, we were able to really work on labeling your emotions (laughs) and and saying, I'm mad instead of kidding me, Yesterday, he was licking his iPad and my husband told him, like, you know, the iPad is dirty. You could get sick. <laughs> the iPad is not to lick. Yeah. Um, and he got frustrated. I and I could hear him upstairs and, and he was saying, I'm frustrated. But he didn't hit his head. He didn't say true. things at my husband. He didn't come down here to, to yell at me. He was just stomping his feet and saying he's frustrated. You know what? You're five. Go ahead and you do that. Right. I'd rather you do that than the other things that you used to do. But those moments were really difficult because I think as a parent, one, my thing is I don't want you to hurt yourself. And I don't want you to hit your head so hard that you give yourself a concussion. Right. And he would hit his head on hard surfaces too. And so really kind of trying to get him to a safe place. And he's a big kid. He's my bigger child. <laughs> like, why do you have to be my bigger kid? So picking him up in those moments where he's squirming and trying to hit you is not the easiest thing to do. Mm. So really just kind of reminding myself to stay calm, <laughs> which can be hard. And just reminding myself that he's trying to communicate something. Obviously, he's upset right now. Right? He's upset that Yuri took his toy or it was his turn to give up the toy or whatever it is. It usually had something to do with something like that or the, or something's not working as quickly as you want, right? Um, And if we can figure that out and and help him quickly enough, he wouldn't escalate to that point. But it also would put us in a place where we're kind of feeling like we're walking on eggshells. We weren't too keen on that either. Like that is not fun. And it's also not fair to my other child, to Yuri, that he has to kind of be like careful around his brother either. Right. Mm -hmm. So we really just kind of were like, okay, we'll deal with it when it comes. Like we're going to, if there's a moment where he's like, You know, let's say he's playing with something and it's not working as quickly as he wants. And he starts like hitting it before he escalates the headbanging. Can we intervene? So that's kind of what we started doing. What's wrong? Oh, I I see, you know, your iPad's not working or your remote's not working or your toy's not working. You know, do you want help? Right? Like, oh, mommy's going to help you. Really just kind of almost like narrating everything I do and see, telling him what I see. You know, oh, your fists are clenched. You're mad. I see you're frustrated right now. And getting him to see if he, he can say that. And even if it's math at that point, like I would praise the heck out of him because I'd rather him say that than than escalate, right? And then right. if he would escalate, removing him to an area that was safe. So we created like a calming corner. Nice. <laughs> we have a big, big bag chair where he could hit his head all he wants on that thing. He ain't going to get hurt because it's a big, bad chair. We have some books there. we have cushions all around, so that if he falls off of it, he falls onto a cushion. I have a jungle gym in my living room Very great um, and I have cushions underneath that, so he loves like jumping from places, so he'll he'll climb on the jungle gym and he'll fall down on cushions, really being able to give them spaces where they can get that energy out without hitting their heads or hitting each other, biting, screaming like we. Those were not fun. <laughs> That's not fun to see. But it also kind of taught us, like, what else can we do to, you know, redirect? <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Very difficult. Do you feel like it was kind of your strategy and game plan that helped the behavior sort of evolve and change? Or do you think that he just needed his time to kind of grow and mature? What's your take on that?
1: That's a great question. Um, Honestly, I feel like it's a little bit of both. I think if we've just kept like a wait and see like ah hell girl out of it approach, like I don't know if we would have because what would we have been doing, right? But I think it also does come with my kids worked really hard. Like they worked so hard to get to where they are now. It really was like a team effort. Teachers, my husband, my parents, like it was a huge team effort to get them to where they are. And the biggest team member of their team was themselves. They worked so hard. They started going to a learning center, a, like a, it's not a daycare, but it's like a preschool, I guess, for special needs kids when they were two and a half, three. When they were three, we had their first IEP, Individualized Education Plan Meeting. Yuri met his annual goals in three months. Wow. And actually met his annual goals in six months. Wow. That is not because the adults worked hard. They did. But it was because my kids worked hard. They really Tried like they really like making people proud. Like they are those kids where Yuri will come and do something. And go, mommy, look! Like he's that child. Akis yeah. like that too. So really, just kind of showing them that they have the ability and just you know cheerleading them and and making sure have they have the environment that they can grow. um I think was crucial. But I I cannot say it's only because of us. It's genuinely not. I feel like it was all of us. Um, yeah, and I'm really proud of them because they worked really hard to get to where they're at now.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a topic I can get like emotional about. Is when I think of our children, how hard they work, and a lot of people don't realize, you know, when they're going from school to the therapist that meets with them after, and I mean, they really—I'm real proud of all of them as well. So,
2: yeah, thanks
0: for sharing yeah. that. Are there any aha moments that you've had? On your journey up until this point,
1: yeah, I think I mean honestly, I think one of the biggest aha moments for myself was the difference between being a parent and a service provider. Okay. <laughs> because I'm both, right? Like, I've worked with families, I've worked with kids with mental health needs. That has been my thing for so long, and I think it's really easy. And I, right now, I'm in a position where I supervise other clinicians, so I don't, I don't have my own caseload other than my own private practice, but. <laughs> Until then, I think it's very easy for service providers to be like, "Well, parents should be able to do A, B, C, D, E, and F, G, right? And if they don't, like, they don't care, right? Like, it's so right. easy. I think for a outside provider to feel that way. Well, why are they no showing all the time? Why are they late all the time, right? I can genuinely say, like, as it when I was a clinician, I would go to people's houses, <laughs> so it was a little different. But I mean, I had situations where I would go to the client's house and like parent won't let me in (laughs) Like, or the parent won't be home. And I'm like, I was going to be here at two. I told you to. We said, we talked at one, like what's happening? But as a parent of two special needs kids, really, I think it just showed me like getting from point A to point B is not as easy as I think one thinks, especially as a service provider, right? We, As a service provider, a lot of times we think, but we're there to help right? Like we're there to provide these services. We're there to help your family, right? And that is true. That's what I gave came into this field. I wanted to help support people in their growth, whatever that looked like. That is why I came into this field. But I think sometimes we forget that those struggles that that person might have of like, well, they're not coming to sessions, right? Or they're late all the time or whatever it is, that might be exactly why they need us. And as a parent, when our kiddos therapists want to meet with us and we're like, both my husband and I work, work full time right now, we might not be able to meet at two o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> right, We might be, but we might not be, right? And trying to explain that can be hard because that person also works from like eight to five, but we also work that time. So how do you navigate that, right? Without mm-hmm. feeling of like bad parents, but also without feeling like they're bad providers. And they think because I've been both and I am both, that moment of like, oh, it's because like these families also struggle, maybe in different ways, but they also struggle, and that might be why they're not coming to sessions on time. And I think, as a clinician who, let's say, has neurotypical kids or don't have kids, it's I think sometimes hard to remember that working with clinicians and providing that support to them. Like I love doing that because I can see them grow because <laughs> they're just grow too. By the way, um, that's a conversation I have a lot with my clinicians of like, well okay, I, I totally understand you were supposed to meet with them at two o'clock and they don't come until two 30 every single time. And it's so frustrating to you. What's stopping them from coming at two o'clock? What's happening? Do they have any other appointments? Is it that client struggles right after school? And so getting them out of the house is hard. Like what's happening, especially right now, it's virtual learning, you know, like what's happening that's causing them to be late 30 minutes every time. Can we push their appointment back? Like, does it have to be? Can we do 2.30? Oh, but I have a three o'clock. Fine. Can you do a 2.33? Because guess what? That's what you're doing anyways. So right. can we say, instead of guilting the parents that they're not coming at two o'clock, can we say, hey, you know what? I've noticed that our sessions don't usually start till 2.30 anyways, and we have a 30 minute session. And actually, it, it seems like it's been working. Let's, can we just try to see if we can start at 2.30? Does that help? Now, yes, of course, we've had families that are just going to be late anyways, right? Like I've had parents that are like, hey, if you tell me one, I'm probably going to be there by two. All right, I'll tell you what, I'll have two o'clock open, right? Just kind of having that conversation. So there are people that are not great with time. That is true. Mm -hmm. But there's also parents and family members and kids who want to be at a certain place at a certain time, but there's certain things that get in the way. I think as a service provider, I think it's hard to remember that. Mm-hmm. Because as a service provider, we're thinking, okay, I'm going to be here from two o'clock to three o'clock, and I'm going to the next client at three thirty, right? Like we have our own thing that we're thinking about. But I think sometimes parents and families get lost in that. And being able to be both, I think, kind of reminded me, and it really kind of opened my eyes to, hey, like empathy is important. <laughs> and I say you know team a lot because I do believe like everybody that's working with my kids are just part of our team. Right. So. It's not me against them. Although sometimes it can feel that way, right? Like, but, but it's not because they're not there to tell me or my husband or my kids that we're bad or my kids are a lost cause. Like that's not what they're there for. They're there to provide whatever service they are there for at that moment, right? And we're there to learn whatever skills that we need to learn so that we can support our kids as they learn their skills. It's a team effort. But if it's a team effort, if I'm sitting there saying, well, it's because you're always late, like, That doesn't feel like a team, you know? But that shift helped me a lot, I think. In one, not being as frustrated at myself that I'm not getting to certain places at a certain time. Or two, not getting frustrated at clients (laughs) uh, or my clinician's clients who you're supposed to meet at one and they don't show up until 1.45 saying, oh, I forgot about the appointment. What is causing them to forget? Now, I get it. Sometimes you forget. But if that's a constant thing, what is happening? Are they overwhelmed? Because maybe they are, right? And we have families that have like, is a single parent with like six kids? Well, is the mom overwhelmed? Probably. (laughs) Is the dad like, you know, not sure what to do? Maybe, right? Like if we can't think of it again as a team effort of like, okay, well, as a team, how can we help to take that off a little bit? Right. What will help to decrease that feeling of being overwhelmed or lost? Right. How can I support? Your family, so we can best support your child. That usually gets people's buy-ins more than like, well, why are you late all the time? <laughs> like, mm, I probably want to come back to that therapist. So I think that helps one that reminder and that experience of, Oh, now that I have my foot in both, <laughs> I can be empathic to both. I think before I had kids, especially special needs kids, it, I think sometimes we forget, you know, not that I never cared. I always cared. But I also had to think about, oh, I have to see this client next, this client next, this next client next. But being able to pause and say, well, what's happening with this family and how can we better support them? Or is it just not a good time for services? Because that's sometimes true, too. So, yeah, I would say, like, that was like my moment.
0: Yeah, that's a very uh, sensitive issue in my situation. I am have 100 percent custody of all five of my children and two with special needs. And. The therapists want parent involvement and I've, I've often heard i'm not you know we're not here to babysit your child yeah yeah and then, you know and that is such a i don't want you know i i don't want somebody to be there to babysit my child except if i don't have the time to be there to be yeah with my child then i need a babysitter right well oh. it just so happens that i have four other children i need to attend to for whatever reason, and you happen to be here with, you know, say Rocco, and you being here with Rocco is way better than you not being here with Rocco and me not being with Rocco because I don't have time to be the parent involved in your therapy. Wow. And then just the guilt that comes in and the tension and the friction and, and how it can pull us off the feeling of being on the same team yeah, And then next thing you know, I don't want to see that. Right. I don't want to see that therapist because I don't want to think about if I'm not being a good parent. But at the same time, if I don't learn anything that they're doing, and if we're not supporting the efforts that they're making when they're not here, then is what they're putting their time into helping the child at all? So yeah,
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a balance, right? Like, it's not that your other kids don't need you. Like, what are we supposed to do, just ignore those? Like, okay, so I have therapy with them. So you fend for yourself for like an hour, you good? Like, it doesn't work that way, right? And, you know, it would be great if we could clone ourselves, but we can't. So it's kind of finding that balance. So like in a situation like that, if I was a therapist and I've had clients like that, that, you know, is a single parent to Multiple children, you know, I would kind of say, well, when's a good time for you? Can we talk on the phone for like 10, 15 minutes? Like, you know, how can we be on the same team? Because you're right, like the therapist, hopefully, is there to help. That's the hope. <laughs> that's right. the hope to help build skills, right? But you're right, like if you're not involved at all, then there's not much that's going to stick because they're there for however long, like let's say five hours a week, and you're there for the rest of the time. Right. But You also have other kids to tend to, and they have their own needs. Special needs are not. Every child has has needs, right? right. (laughs) They all need us. Even as adults, I think we need each other, right? So being able to figure out, like, how can we be that team? Because, yeah, like, guilting you is not going to help anything, right? But I'm sure the therapist feeling like they're a babysitter and they're not doing anything is not helping anybody. And it's definitely not helping Rocco. And that's just not fair.
0: Yes. And I, I like that we're having this conversation because I think it's really important to make sure that everybody understands that we're on the same page and we're on the same team. When I would step away from taking it personally, I would realize that these people are advocating for my job. like and that's what I want them to do. and and if that means like, you know, kind of nudging me towards trying to figure out how to shift things around so I can be more involved, isn't that what I'd ultimately want? Yeah. From them is to get pushed into being more for my child. Absolutely. So, the balance between, you know, advocating and pushing to be our best self and our best, you know, uh, be as involved as possible without kind of like crossing that line and getting into shaming, guilt, and disrespect.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think also remembering, right, like therapists are humans too. (laughs) And I think sometimes they forget that too. I had a situation where, and this is not coming from a bad place for this therapist at all, but with a therapist where I came home one day and my mom was here and with the therapist and I came upstairs and I always ask my kids the same question when I I come home. Did we make green choices today? Which means, did you make good choices? Um, It's green choices or red choices. And I came upstairs and I said, did we make green choices today, Aki? And the therapist immediately said, no. Yeah. And I was like, mm. and again, mental, no. Mm. Yeah. see you that know, we're struggling today. Right. And I was like, Oh, okay. Tell me about that. Like what's happening. Right. And she said like, Oh, you know, the second you saw me, he got really upset. And I was like, that's not normal for Aki. Like he's a very happy little boy. So I was like, okay. I checked in with my mom. And she was like, yeah, like the second the therapist came in, he got really upset and he was throwing things. I'm like, Aki, like, what is happening? That's so not how he usually is, right? He, he's come such a long way. And so that kind of prompted me to just watch, right? I just kind of watched that session. And there were several comments that were bothersome. And one of them was, she had taught Yuri, and he constantly do this, does this now, to answer, Yuri, are you cute? And she he would say, yes. Yes, he's cute, by the way. But what I noticed is she never taught Aki that. Oh, my goodness! Yeah. And then she would say, like, "Oh,, she would say to the other therapist, "Oh, you're lucky you're working with Yuri, like Yuri's so much easier whoa, yeah, so then it was kind of like a mm, I wonder if that's why Aki is acting that way because he didn't have the verbal skills to say, I don't like that yo <laughs> so he would start crying he, he wouldn't he wasn't feeling it, and that I think that evening we actually had a meeting with the supervisor and the supervisor and I had been working together on with my boys for a year, maybe two years at that point. We had the same supervisor for a while and she was great. We had this heated discussion about, well, Aki's not meeting his goals, right? And I just was like, I don't agree with that. I don't agree that he's not meeting his goals. You're telling me that every session you feel like he's like throwing tantrums on and he's not. Like, I don't think he's not meeting the goals. And so we had this like heated discussion and I kind of paused and I was like, let me explain to you what I saw today. And I was like, I wasn't trying to bring it up because I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble. Like, I'm really not. But I need, I'm going to bring this up because I feel like it kind of gives you a bigger picture, right? Like a fuller picture of why maybe it's happening. Why the data is showing that he's having more tantrum. When at home, he's not. Go to the school. He's not doing that at school. So if he's not doing that in those environments, and it's only when this specific person is here, maybe there's a reason for that. Yeah. So I kind of told her, I was like, well, you know, here's what I observed. This is not an assumption. This is what I've seen. I saw that she was saying to the other therapist, you're lucky that you have Yuri because Yuri is easier. I saw her teach Yuri. Yuri, are you cute? but not do that to Aki. I saw her say, when I asked Aki, did you make green choices today? Her reaction was no. And I understand maybe he wasn't making green choices that day, but getting it from an adult was weird. (laughs) Like, all right, we're having a difficult moment today. And so when I brought that up, first of all, the supervisor was appalled (laughs) and she was like, that is not okay. That is not okay at all. Like not okay. Right. Um, They're twins. They do get compared, but we try really hard not to. And so for a therapist to come in, and that's what basically she's doing, of course he's going to act up. And I was like, I don't think it's that he's not making progress. I think that it's a relationship issue. Yes. So I don't think they're a good match. And I think she struggles with him because he's not as verbal as Yuri is. I understand not everybody is a good match for everybody. I understand that. I'm not saying she's a bad therapist. I'm not saying any of that, but I don't know if they're a good match. And she was like, nope, like I'm taking her off this case. Like that is not okay. And I even said, you know, I am totally fine with you switching therapists If you want her to work with Yuri, because obviously she works better with Yuri. That is, Absolutely fine with me. Um, I just don't think that she's a good match for Aki. And, you know, she was actually taken off her case completely. She like didn't come back because the supervisor had said, like, well, if he, she has now become a trigger to Aki, which obviously she walks in and he's crying. (laughs) Even if she's not working with Aki, it might not be good for him. She was removed from our team and we got somebody new. But even that, right? Like until I spoke up and was able to express that, the supervisor, all she can see is the data. There's spikes in tantrums. <laughs> yeah. um, like, what's happening, right? And as a parent, I didn't want to get anybody in trouble. Like, I just, I'm just not that person. But if I didn't speak up, it would have just shown that Aki's struggling. He was struggling, but for a real good reason. Yeah. I would not yeah. love it if somebody said that about me. <laughs> I mean,
0: absolutely not.
1: <laughs> right? So I was like, ooh, that was not good. But, you know, sometimes I think looking at teams, I also look at, you know, sometimes it's not a good match and that's okay like sometimes it's not a good match and sometimes we can't work together that doesn't mean they're bad or we're bad just not a good match like that
0: situation <laughs> i think you're a more evolved person than i am because i actually think that that's horrible um, yeah, was pretty hard, yeah. i think that, that you make a great point that that does not show up on your statistic report yeah. right so and lastly those kind of things can affect people can affect me in ways that like we can't even communicate with ourselves sometimes, you know, that the way it affects self-esteem and different things like that. I mean, if those things aren't caught and we're our children's voice, you know, those are the things that scare me about my children, any typical, non-typical, whatever you want to call it in the world. Those kind of situations not being addressed, you know, somebody say underqualified to be able to handle it, yeah. Which could be me, you know, in that situation, underqualified to handle it. I'm grateful that you caught it. And yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. That it I just would have known that, oh, Aki's struggling, like I don't know what's happening. That's literally what it would have been like. But to thankfully my mom was also there, so she was like, Yeah, she walked in and Aki started screaming and I was like, You sure? <laughs> like Aki started screaming because somebody walked in. He is not that kid. <laughs> Neither of them are that is that kid right now. So I'm like that's it's weird. Why did he do that? Did Yuri do that? Was Yuri upset? Like, you know, what was it? And Yuri was fine. Yuri, you know, went up and said hi. But again, the observation of how she was with Aki and how she was with Yuri. She was not rude to Aki himself. But, and, and I say this often, they're very smart, right? Kids are smart. I don't yeah. care how their kids are smart. And they watch us and they listen. And so even though Aki at that point didn't have the verbal skills, he was watching her, right? Just little ways that she would interact with Yuri was very different from the way she interacted with Aki as a child. Like, how awful is that? Right. And like you said, self-esteem, like it's really, it's a blow. So being able to kind of see that and notice that and being able to speak up, although it was hard. Yeah. We're very grateful because if that hadn't happened, it would have been my mom. And I don't know. I mean, she's pretty good at like watching them, but I don't know if she would have been able to notice it to the level I did because I'm in the field, right? Like I supervise people. That's part of my job. So I am pretty like careful when I, and I do watch things in a probably a different way than people who are not in the field because, you know, like one, they're my kids, but two, I worked with kids. And I know sometimes the smallest things can affect children, even though I think sometimes you forget that. So yeah, like, Again, a small thing is teaching one child, Are you cute? and saying yes, and the other one not. I know that seems like such a small thing, but I think so. Like, that's not cool. And I was like, Yes, I think And I was I like, know. Yes, Yuri's cute, don't get me wrong. But Aki is too. Like, they're both really cute kids. But I'm like, But don't teach one something and not the other. Like, right. that's not cool. Yeah, so I am grateful I, was, I came home and saw that because. I wouldn't have known. I just would have seen that Aki was struggling. That's all that I would have known. So,
0: yeah. Well, Gisato, you are very easy to talk to, your wealth of knowledge, and I can talk to you about lots of topics, but we're actually coming to uh, a point where I'm going to need to get to a next interview. So, I'd like to just maybe float it out there that we may be able to do this again someday if you'd be willing to. Yeah, so that, um, and maybe we can. Uh, sort of end this conversation with any uh, suggestions or resources that you would suggest to parents they may not know of or that may help somebody? Is there anything that you can think of that you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, this is not really a resource, but I would encourage everybody, one, to be kind to yourself. And in the moments that's difficult to be kind to yourself, seek out like a mental health professional. I have seen clients just because, you know, They feel like they're bad parents and they need somebody to talk to. That's not a mental health issue, but I'm going to talk to them. Mental wellness starts within ourselves and sometimes it's hard. I know mental health has a stigma, but I encourage every single one of us, if you're struggling, like reach out for help. And, you know, whoever that person is, whether it's a friend, family member, therapist, I don't care, but reach out. Because our inner voice is usually not the kindest, you know? <laughs> awesome.
0: Are there, you, you said that you have a blog and you have a, a podcast. Yeah. What, what, where can we find more about you and what you're working on?
1: Yeah, so I don't have my own podcast yet, even though I would love to. I've guested in several, which I'm very grateful for. My blog is Therapist Mama Bear and two, number two, awesome, A-U-S-O-M-E, Cubs. You can also find me on Instagram at therapist mama bear (laughs) and two awesome clubs. I think it's therapist mama bear. People can email me, reach out to me by DM. However, I do try to respond to everybody that reaches out. Uh, so, you know, I'm here for any of you (laughs) that want to chit chat or have questions. You know, I try to give tips and tricks and, you know, share a lot about my kids. So if you want to see them,
0: (laughs) we're on Instagram quite often. All right, well I'll get uh, we'll get some of that in the notes for this show and I thank you again and I wish you all the best.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me and have okay. a wonderful day. Bye.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. This concludes our show for today and I'd like to personally thank you for spending the time with us on a topic near and dear to our hearts.